Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. All right, and welcome to another episode of the Future Ear Radio Podcast. I'm very excited. I'm joined today by a portion of the Hearing the Call team. Uh, And to kind of introduce the team and Hearing the Call, I'll pass it over to my good friend, Deanne Rudden. So Deanne, do you mind sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Dave, thanks so much for having us on the podcast. I mean, your podcast is Levin Legendary. And so getting the opportunity to have a conversation about one of my favorite topics um, on your podcast is like a dream. So um, I'm Deanne Rudden. I'm a private practice owner um, in Longmont, Colorado. And I was, and I guess I am, a member of the Hearing the Call uh team that recently went on a mission to Jordan. Hearing the Call is um, the nonprofit arm of Entheos uh, Hearing Cooperative. So the cooperative is a group of private practice owners who um, have all come together to support one another, um, not just for pricing purposes, but also to make sure that we're um, sticking true to our own personal values. And one of those pieces of the puzzle is giving back. So that is um, has been done through the, the nonprofit part of the organization called Hearing the Call. Um, and my dream team of people that, um, and it wasn't my team, they allowed me to come on this amazing trip. Um, so I was just a worker bee um, in, in this amazing group of people. Um, and, and I mean, it was just such a magical thing. So I, I'm going to stop talking because I want to introduce you to the rest of the team. And um, I will first say that um, we've got four additional people. There were more people that were a part of the team, um, but we're going to represent them mightily. So um, <laughs> I'm going to introduce my the people on our team. Um, one is Susan Shee. Uh, she is from Alabama. I'll let her talk a little bit about herself. Maura Chippendale from Florida, Yasmin Batat from New Jersey, and Mary Thorpe from Sarasota, Florida as well. So we got a couple of Floridians. We got East Coast, West Coast, everybody in between. So <laughs> I'll let you guys kind of jump in and say a little bit about each other. Perfect. Susan, you want to start? Sure. Um, I'm Susan Sheehy, as Dan mentioned, and I am a private practice owner in Huntsville, Alabama. I've uh, been in private practice for about 20 years. I am actually co-owner of um, our practice here. That's awesome. Maura? Hi, I'm Maura Chippendale. I am, again, a private practice owner in uh, Cape Coral, Fort Myers, Florida. Um, I've been a member of Entheos for a couple of years now, but I actually was able to go on a humanitarian trip four years ago with hearing the call to uh, South Africa. So it was actually, I left four years ago yesterday to go on that trip and I wanted more. So I was so <laughs> pleased to be able to go on this trip. Awesome. 
Yasmin? Hey, um, I'm Yasmin Batat. I'm also a private practice audiologist. Um, my practice is in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Um, actually a startup, I'm three years in, started right before the um, pandemic. So it's, it's yeah. been an adventure. Uh, joined Entheos about two years ago. It was probably the best decision I ever made um, because I got to meet all these fabulous people and have these opportunities to do things like hearing the call, which has been a dream of mine. So thank you for having me. And I'm really excited to see these beautiful ladies and talk to them again. I missed you guys. It's been like a week, but honestly, I really missed you. <laughs> all right. Last but not least, Mary. Hi, I'm Mary Thorpe, uh, private practice audiologist in Sarasota, Florida. I've been a member of Entheos for six years, and I have been on many mission trips all around the world. And I can give you a little bit of perspective, if y'all would like, about how this all came about. That would be awesome. And um, I think as audiologists, we especially working in our own practices, you know, after a while, we get a little bit burnt out. I mean, it's it's a grind and, you know, we're all doing the best we can. And, um, you know, sometimes we need something to lift us back up to remind us why we do what we do. And I joined in Theos about six years ago, mostly because um, I really wanted to be involved in one of those pillars, which was giving back to the community. So in Theos is a, has three pillars, which is the cooperative, which is the business side of it best practices and give back. And so give back was important to me and it was a means for me to help others in my community as well as internationally. And um, you know, it just uh, reminds us why we do what we do. So after I joined, um, there's a cute little couple in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Nora and Ken Stewart, who just really were the driving force behind this. Uh, Nora Stewart just had the vision and that woman just put things together and she put this cooperative together and she found some partners. I think their first mission trip was to Amman, Jordan to see refugees, Syrian and Palestinian refugees. And what was important, one of the most important things for us when we go into a country is that we have a good partner. So they had a good partner and um, we need a partner that helps support us in terms of uh, setting up, you know, setting up where we'll have clinics, setting up how, who the patients will be and that they'll get, they'll get there to us, helping to set up arrangements for transportation, hotel and things like that. So that's kind of how it started. Um, one of the audiologists in Entheos had a good partner in that region and um, it just sort of materialized. And from, from Jordan, we ended up in Africa, in Zambia, Mozambique and South Africa and um, on to Guatemala, Ecuador. Uh, and we're going to be going to Mexico in August. And so we've really expanded. And in the beginning, when we started this, we might've had 15 members in Entheos, but it's so rewarding, it's addictive. You, once you do this, you just want to do more. And when you come back home, you're on a, you know, you're very high from this because you've just experienced something incredible. And you can see the smiles, everybody's smiling. I was gonna say. It, 
it stays with you for a long time. And it does give you perspective about doing what we do. And I think that's the good general background on that. I really want um, the rest of them to share their experiences. I have been very fortunate to have many, many experiences doing this. I'm still coming back and I will come back as long as I can. So I'm gonna turn it over to them, to whoever would like to speak next, but that gives you an idea of how, how we started up on all this. Yeah, so to, just to give you a little bit of perspective about um, the population we were seeing in Jordan, we were uh, seeing refugees and um, did a, a little bit of research. Um, some of my sources say that there are about 2 million Palestinian refugees in Jordan and about 1.4 million Syrian refugees in Jordan. Um, a large percentage of them live below the poverty line and lack access to quality education and healthcare. Um, in Jordan, there are about five refugee camps for Syrians. 83% um, of those live in poverty and there are 10 Palestinian camps. Uh, we did provide services in Irbid, uh, which is a Palestinian camp. It was started as a tent camp and then eventually they built little mud huts and then those mud huts began, uh, be, began to be built with um, concrete. Um, the uh, Irbid has the largest prevalence of people with chronic health problems, 16% of the overall population. Um, it's ranked second. Uh, I'm sorry, ranked second was Zarka, which was the second um, camp that we served. Um, and they have 15% of the overall population having chronic health problems. Um, and the, the, the problem with um, the individuals with hearing loss is only 19% of them have hearing aids, 19% of them. And we saw so many of them with moderate to profound hearing losses. I mean, I don't, we didn't see anybody with normal hearing come through those doors. Um, it was at, at least moderate degree of loss and above. Um, and these guys and, and kids and men and women are going around without the ability to hear, without the ability to have a chance educationally. And if you can't get educated, you have no chance of getting out of that poverty. So help walk me through how many of you were there over there and how long were you all there for? There were 10 audiologists there and several volunteers. I want to say four or five volunteers, at least four volunteers. So we need somebody to do administration also, like uh, check people in, get, um, get data from them. It's important for us to get information on each person we see because we want to be able to see what kind of pot, you know, the, the ages, et cetera, of these populations. So we want to collect this data so that we can report some of this to the World Health Organization. And so data collecting is super important when they were in any of these places. And so, and you do have a, in Jordan, you have a inordinately amount of younger children with severe to profound hearing loss, either through genetic reasons or you know, bombings, et cetera, the Syrians, et cetera, things like that. So it's a large, larger population of children with really significant hearing loss that, that we see when we go there. And um, so it, we, 
we also had students with us and I'm going to turn this over to Yasmin too, because they all had a really great time. We had some Palestinian students who came and really bonded with all of the audiologists. And I think she's going to give you a good perspective on that. Yeah. Let me just add to one of the things that kind of blew me away and it, and it, and it came after the first day of clinic. Um, we had clinic three days. My, I took my son along. Um, he was 16 years old and we chatted every night after clinic. And he asked me, he said, mom, I don't understand how a seven-year-old, a 12-year-old, a six-year-old, a four-year-old for the first time ever has been diagnosed with a hearing loss or for the first time ever has gotten fit with a hearing loss. How come they, they're, they're experiencing this for the first time now? Um, so I think that's the thing that really, that really boggles your mind. Um, we take access for granted here. We take, um, we take our health. I know some people, you know, can criticize our healthcare, but we have accessibility. And um, what is what really smacks you in the face over there is that they don't have accessibility. Mm -hmm. So when you activate a child's hearing aids for the first time, and they're seven years old, and they start hearing those first moments, you know, they're, they're kind of just shocked. They don't know what they're hearing. And then all of a sudden, you know, a smile breaks out and they start giggling and laughing. So it, it's just, I think that experience is so powerful. Um, and so, yeah, it, it makes, every night we think about that question, how, how come they're hearing for the first time ever at age seven, you know? Um, so that's the experience that you come back from and you're thinking about, uh, you know, in a happy way and, and in, a very, in a very sad way. I know, I know some of you guys here can relate to that and, and what that felt like. Um, as for the students, they were wonderful. Uh, I've never seen, I've never seen students so zealous about learning. Um, it, they didn't take that for granted. It's, it was an opportunity and they wanted to absorb every single moment of it. They were in there, they were our translators. They were patient advocates. They were giving patients information and receiving. Um, and the best thing about it is they had a, a great audiology background. Um, even their teacher, their professor was there on site kind of explaining everything to them as we were doing it, as we were explaining to them. Um, they, and they were just, you know, it, it, it was just amazing having them there um, alongside us learning and also teaching us. Um, so I, I know some of us can speak to what that was like, Deanne, Susan, and Maura, Mary. Well, and, and learning uh, a new culture, you know, the Muslim culture, you know, we had to be respectful that if we were testing a woman um, who took her hijab off, we couldn't bring, you know, a man through the room, you know, and um, the students help us understand, you know, how to be respectful of the culture and, I think we knew, but it, you know, we just get testing and we forget, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> yeah, but to live it, that's 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 the experience that's kind of cool too. You know, you get to experience it with them. So um how many of you were there for the like how many of you was this your first uh trip? 
So Yasmin, yep. Susan, Dan, have you done one of these before or was this your first? This was my first trip with Entheos with hearing the call. So it was really interesting for me to see um, how they did things as compared to um, other humanitarian trips that I had been on. And one of the things that, um, again, going back to what Mary said early on in the, the pillars of Entheos and what's important to the group is best practices. And the cool thing for me is that on, on the way that hearing the call approaches humanitarian work is those people get the same kind of care as we would give them in our own clinics. You know, they get realier. They get programmable devices that are specified and they are personalized for that particular person's hearing loss. They are tested, sometimes retested to make mm -hmm. sure that things are reliable. They have custom ear molds made if that's necessary. And in, in Jordan, I swear everyone had to have ear molds because they just had so much hearing loss. Um, they get wax removal. We had an ENT with us um, that was Jordanian, um, I believe. And, mm -hmm. you know, they get the same level of care that I would give in my own clinic. So, you know, it's not like we're going over there and dropping off hearing aids and saying, well, you know, hope it all goes okay. They're, they're getting great care and they also get aftercare. They get follow-up care. So, you know, they're, they're not just left on their own devices. They're, they're really getting the highest level of care possible. Dave, you know, you have to appreciate um, all the work that goes into setting up a clinic because we go with giant suitcases of computers and portable uh, audiometers, CUDA waves, um, real ear systems, hearing aids, parts and pieces, cleaning products, and, and we go into a place and we have to put it all together. We have to set it all up before everybody comes. And guess what we do at the end of the day? And take it apart. A labor of love. Oh, so much. <laughs> Susan, how about you? I, I was and, just and gonna... Especially when you get somewhere and you find out one of the suitcases is not with us. <laughs> uh -oh. On the other Which side of the happened. world. Yeah. And that happened. And, and then that's when, to me, one of the other things is the beauty of the collaborative effort of the mm -hmm. audiologist. Um, everybody just working together in this just spirit of, of, you know, we can do this, we can manage any situation, and we're going to make this uh, right and right for all these people that we're going to be serving. And, and so, you know, problems do come up. And it was quite a eye opening experience for me personally, um, since it was my first trip. But again, everybody rallies together, suggestions are thrown out, and then uh, a solution is found. And then everybody acts on it so that you can keep things going and keep the flow going because you want to see as many of these people as you can see and provide as much care as possible. Um, so I, I just, it really warms the heart uh, to be with a team and have that kind of spirit and that kind of just 
love for what you're doing and love for the people that you're treating. And um, uh, it was a huge takeaway in the sharing, the sharing back and forth of knowledge between the audiologists, between the students, um, and then the appreciation of from the patients. And even with a language barrier, you know, again, as Jasmine pointed out, they and they call it the hearing smiles, you know, it's just that that breaks any barriers of language that you can imagine when you see a smile like that and you know you've made such a difference for that person's life, whether it's their education. I know in one case it was a young woman who was looking to uh, have a relationship and find someone to be a partner in her life. And um, I mean, the, the stories and and all just they just touch your heart and we do not realize how privileged we are to have access that we have um and and seeing it and experience it firsthand just you're never going to be the same after you do this i just wanted to comment on how the goal the goal of our give back when we do these international trips is not just to provide relief we want to move these countries into development. That's why it was important to have those students there. And actually, uh, Nomad Adam and myself went and set up an office with our partner at Life for Relief and Development. And we actually had an audiometer donated. We had a tympanometer donated. We brought in all hearing aid supplies, et cetera, so that the people that we did see on this trip can see an audiologist monthly, at least once a month in there. And so they will have somebody, they will have access to somebody when we're gone. So we we really like to take these countries from relief to development. And we, we are moving ahead. We do have an audiologist that will be seeing these patients and doing follow-up care and has a computer to program hearing aids, et cetera, too, also. So that's also, also part of our goal is to make sure that they do have this follow-up care. Yeah, that's important because, I mean, you can hand out hearing aids and we all know in our own practices, you know, it could be two weeks later, something happens and it's not working anymore. And what are these people going to do? You know, they, they need somebody to help them, you know, navigate the waters of maintaining it. Um, or they, they might be, you know, thinking they need to throw it away instead of just looking at, you know, oh, it's blocked with moisture or whatever. Yeah, I I just, I think that that, um, I wanted to, I'm glad you touched on that, Mary, because I thought that was really interesting when I, when Yasmin was talking about the students, that's super interesting to me. So how old are these students and how many of them are there? Is it, how did this part of the whole humanitarian trip come to be? This was set up ahead of time. Um, the head of our humanitarian committee is Nimet Adam. She works tirelessly on all of this. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes other than us showing up to provide care at that time. So she's all about making connections. So she's making connections with the universities. She's speaking to other audiologists through other people, through the ENTs, et cetera. So, and also getting help from our partner, our partner in Jordan is Life for Relief and Development. And they've been great. They took all the names, they have all the information on all the patients that we're seeing. 
so that there's phone numbers, et cetera, to notify them when they will have a clinic day. They're providing us with an office space in Amman Free for, for us to, to help them provide follow-up care. And so basically all the students were there from behind the scenes efforts and reaching out to doctors and universities, et cetera. And that's pretty much how it came about. So for anyone, I guess this question's for one of the ones that uh, this was your first time. Um, what was the uh, expectation going in? And then what was it like, uh, I guess, after that first day? Um, because I think going off of what Mary had been talking about earlier about burnout, and I know Deanne, you, um, you're passionate about this topic too. Um, this is a really interesting, like, uh, you know, feel good kind of way to maybe alleviate something that seems to be really pervasive. So I'm just curious to just maybe hear kind of like a firsthand account of what that was like uh, leading into it. And then on the other side of it, um, I, to be honest, I don't know what my expectations were going in. Um, I told a few people that I had read an article many, many years ago, too many that I don't want to admit to that uh, was fresh out of uh, graduate school and someone had gone to the West Bank. It was an audiologist that's gone to the West Bank. And I, and I, as I read the article, I thought I really want to do something like this. I just want to give without any thought about why, you know, who I'm doing it for or how much I'm getting for it or how it's going to fit on my skin, the typical business stuff. I just want to go do and do with just a, a whole heart and, and just out of pure, you know, wanting to help. And, uh, and that's, like I said, been many years. And as it approached upon me, I mean, I had I had a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of stress. Am I going to be able to use the equipment? Am I going to be able to, you know, do what I need to do to help along? Am I going to fit in with everybody and be able to help them? So there's a little bit of that 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 you get as well. Um, Of course, no reason to feel any of that because once you get in there, you just you find your place and you start doing, and you're just so focused on providing care and trying to be involved and get these patients seen and and treated properly that all that kind of goes away. And again, the reward is, is there at the end when you've made this difference. And to, in my personal opinion, the burnout comes with, particularly in private practice and business ownership is everything is about, you know, um, earning a profit, keeping the books filled and that stuff just wears you out after a while. And you just, you want to just give to give and help and make a difference. And I think it was Jasmine's son on our um, kind of when we were going over everything and having our wrap up discussion, the word eager, he, he mentioned, and serving people that are eager for what you have. We tend to be in a, in a situation in our practices where people aren't necessarily eager for what we have to offer. Yeah. And so you, you're shifting from, to more of a sales 
person kind of mentality instead of the mentality of, of being a healthcare provider. Here, you feeling like that healthcare provider because these people are eager and they want what you have to offer and they trust and believe in you. And that's, that's to me, was a huge personal reward because I know my intentions and motives are good and I feel like they know our intentions and motives are obviously good. And so that, that was kind of my how it how it was on the other side of things. Thank you for sharing. That's very interesting, and I uh, can't help but agree from the sentiment I've heard. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of sounds like a little bit different than maybe how some of the patient interactions are here. Um, what about you, Yasmin? Yeah, um, I have to say, going, I didn't really know what to expect. I had attended a local hearing the call event, and I got a flavor for what it's like. It is chaotic. It's we're all trying to get this thing done. We all have that same goal, but to get into the rhythm and groove of it on day one, where you walk in, you don't know what to expect or how it's going to go or what problems are going to come up and hit you. Cause every day it's a different problem. So, um, I feel so fortunate to be with so many people with their heads on right um, and people who think outside the box and people who are creative and so giving with their hearts. So yeah, it, you go into that. And, and I, I want to say, um, I want to say that I think, and I, I said it last night in our owners meeting, I think doing this is a very selfish Thing on our part, we want to experience a certain feeling and a feeling of fulfillment inside. So I feel like we we personally are benefiting more than we are. I at least feel that way. I'm personally benefiting more than I am helping. Um, and and you're constantly chasing that feeling when you feel the impact of that. So that was that was truly my experience um, in terms of burnout. I have to say coming back to the States and sitting in my little office feels so, it feels so small compared to what I was a part of uh, a week ago. Um, problems seem so tiny. Um, it, it, I, I'm, this week I really had a hard time getting back into the office, uh, you know, office things. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I really had a hard time with it because it just didn't feel it just, I, I can't put words to it. It just didn't feel the same way. Um, yeah, Deanne. I mean, I was using the, oh, I have jet lag brain. I think I've kind of used that all week. I'm not going to lie. But what I really meant was I'm, I'm dreaming of next opportunities. That was part of my week. And I was reflecting on this past week, like, oh, this time last week I was doing X, Y, Z. And then someone would ask me a question and I'm kind of like, what? Like, sorry, I must have <laughs> jet lag brain. But because I'm, I am just absorbing and reliving those feelings that, you know, we're, we're all experiencing and we're all kind of looking for having that again. And, and when, in Tiasman's point, the, the problems that we see sometimes that feel so big, you have an experience like this and you come back and you're like, 
this is not a big deal. Like, it's fine. I can do this. Like, if I can go set up a clinic, when we walk in, we're like moving furniture. Where's the outlet? Oh my God. How, you know, all oh, the, you know, got to calibrate this. If we can do that, set up, tear down three days in a row, like what's going to happen in my clinic that's that big of a deal, really? <laughs> well, it's also, you know, I, I have a small practice. I have me and a practice manager and another audiologist. And being with a, a team like that, you know, where I can be in this room and help Yasmin and go into this room and Deanne helps me in this room and Mary's there and Susan's there. And, you know, it's like having that collaboration was so special. And, and now I'm like, where's everybody? <laughs> I'm missing that too. I'm missing that too. I, I have to say that maybe that was one of the most impactful things and I think a lot of private practice audiologists work on their own, um, not in larger groups. So to have that exposure, to have somebody with 20, 30 years of experience or exposure to a different kind of work and to be like, oh, you know, there's a shortcut they did. You had a little shortcut. You shared a little gem with one another. To me, that is invaluable. Um, and I think that we can all agree that we were all just as much like students as they as we were teachers of one another and that there's that there's no price to that there's no price to that one of my favorite parts about the whole thing was actually watching the people that were with us that were not audiologists and their transformation over that week period of time. Um, I mean, I can't even imagine as a parent, like Yasmin and Susan brought their sons. Um, but I brought one of my very best friends um, that has been, you know, my best friend for 25 years. We went to college together. She saw me do my undergrad and, you know, oh, she does this hearing stuff. And then she now was a part of this. So I had like worlds colliding. That was one thing. But hearing her talk about how it impacted her was like almost more juicy than what was happening for me. Because we would come back uh, after the day was over, exhausted and, you know, wrung out and whatever. And we're both like, that was the best day ever. And she just even sent me a text. And I mean, she's like, I just had the sweetest online conversation with the Jordanian audiologist teacher. So now she's got a connection. And she said, he raved about it and said that the students want to do this every semester. So now she's talking to them and they're, you know, we've got relationships and people just wanting to, to continue the good Juju. I was going to say that these are life-changing things for us. Our, first of all, the teams, you know, collaborating with the other audiologists is amazing. We're all over the country. And that's just a, that's just a little magical bit of it. But we all come home and it has changed our lives and we'll never go back. And like Deanne said, I've been able to have my, all of my adult children have been on a mission trip. Two of my very closest friends I've taken. And you know what it does when you bring family members and good friends is they get it. They start to get what you're doing because they became involved and they will want to talk about it. And 
when you talk about what you're doing, et cetera, and all that, they understand now. They don't didn't really get that before. So honestly, it is life-changing. And I'm I'm so grateful to to be involved and to have all of you wonderful audiologists and be a part of it. And honestly, it's changed my life. Um, <clears throat> I feel like this is such a uh, net positive, it's such a net good. And the thing that keeps going through my head is like, how do you foster more of this? Um, so Mary, as, uh, you seem to be kind of the ringleader here, you've been on the most of these, um, how would you like, how, I'm curious of like how you all even came to be a part of this and how does one sort of get more involved in this kind of thing? We all became a part of it because we are part of Entheos Audiology Cooperative. And so when they are behind the scenes making these plans, they put this information out to whoever would like to volunteer. We pay our own expenses to go and our own airfare. We, you know, we there's expenses to stay in hotels and all that. So it's not like we're doing this because somebody's paying us to do that. No, we're spending money to do this. And um, so, you know, if you want to be involved, we have taken audiologists that aren't members. We have a non-member invitation to other audiologists who would like to go. We've had members from the major manufacturers attend, um, from all of them um, have attended uh, international trips. So it's not just open to us. Uh, it, it's open to anybody who want to, wants to go. So if, you know, if there's, if there's room on the team, I think the Entheos members get first, first crack at it to be able to sign up. But certainly we have had outside um, volunteers and audiologists that have come also on these trips. And the other thing is many of us, all of us are involved with local hearing the call give backs so that we can also say to our own patients, you know, when we're going overseas that, no, we're, we're also helping people right here in this country because there's plenty of people in this country who aren't, don't have access to hearing health care. And every single one on this talk tonight is involved in local hearing the calls. And we do have days that we, we see patients and take care of children and adults also in the same manner. Okay. So help me, I guess, just to understand, um, you know, what comes next. Uh, so will there be another one of these? Um, it seems like what you said, Mary, you kind of get addicted to it. And based on the smiling faces that I've seen throughout the whole conversation, everybody seems to be basking in how awesome this was. And so I think your words are ringing true. Um, so I guess I'd just be curious to hear from you all. Like, it sounds like this is pretty life-changing and it's going to be a part of you moving forward. But again, I, I like putting it in this context of knowing that, um, you know, you're representative of probably a lot of other people that, um, you're just ahead of them a little bit. And so speaking to them and saying, you know, almost as a nudge, like you should get and, you know, think about your career like this, because again, going back to what Deanne said and, and Mary about burnout, um, it seems like this is such a great remedy for it. And so I'm just curious to hear what, um, how you're thinking about this. I know it's super fresh in your mind, but if anybody wants to chime in on how you're thinking about all of this moving forward. I mean, I've been an audio, I always say like, I'm, I'm, I've been around a long time now. Um, I've been doing this a long time. I've owned my practice for 20 years. And, and I would say, you know, when I, 
when on my first mission, um, it did, it changed me dramatically. And it was like, I can't go back. How can I have this feeling again for myself? But then how can I help to foster this, you know, in my own backyard even? And, and I think it seems, and it feels so big. Like when you're your own audiologist and you're thinking like, well, I don't even know how you would start that thing. Um, I felt like it was, it was beyond my capabilities as a single person to try to do. What has been very fulfilling for me is that I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like there are people that have come before me that have kind of paved the way for me to, to continue to, to do the work and to help to, to bring others into it because it truly is something where, you know, from a burnout standpoint, you know, all of us in one form or another experience, you know, daily or just over the course of time, like, God, I don't know if I have another 10 years in me. I mean, I really was feeling that way um, before I started doing this type of work. And now I'm like, yeah, I, you know what? I, I, can, I can continue to do what I do even better in my day-to-day life because I have this outlet. And the, the structure and the format of how hearing the call treats um, people not only overseas, but locally, um, it's sustainable. It's sustainable. It's, you know, it's something where you, you really are doing good work and in a good way. And, and I would encourage anyone who is listening that is thinking to themselves, you know, man, I just don't know that if I have 10 more years in this and, you know, the attrition and audiology and, and I would say, try giving back. The moment you give back, man, it's like it's somebody is holding you up and saying, you know, you're valuable and you can keep going. And these people that you're looking at are part of the reason that um, I feel like I can keep going because they've got my back too, which I mean, just over the moon for all of it. Yeah. I mean, I guess going off of what you said, it's like uh, the whole notion, I think it was Yasmin that said it about the way that the uh, patient interaction is here versus over there. And to your point, you know, you're feeling like you're really valued, your skills are in really high demand. And uh, I think it's just this whole thing so neat, because like uh, Mary said, too, you know, when you're over there, you're imparting a lot of your knowledge over there. So there's a continuity of this, you know, it's not just a three day thing, right? Whether we're doing hearing the call globally, or hearing the call locally, you know, we look at this as a hand up, not a hand out. And when you empower people to live better, be better, hear better, um, it, it makes sense. You know, we're part of a community. And when we can help the community as a whole, it helps us. So uh, as Yasmin was saying, yeah, we're helping them, but we're also helping us. It, it's just a whole circle. Uh, of being there. I was going to say, and that carries over to our regular patients. I think that you can, when you feel this way, my staff said today, you're glowing. 
And this was my first day back because I had taken a little extra time after we left. Um, but yeah, that was one of the first things they said to me. And, and I do feel like I'm glowing, but I feel like not only is it going to make me better with my staff because I'm in a better headspace now, it's also going to make me better with my, my regular patients. I think I'm going to have more patients and, and um, just feel better overall. I think it'll make me a better counselor with my patients. Having had this experience, I, I think I can use this experience to help um, treat and manage my, my regular patients on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, because having that juxtaposition of, of what I experienced there and then the reality here and be able to sort of bring that in in sort of a kind way with, with um, patients so that maybe they, they see things a little bit differently. Maybe this will help them to be a little more accepting, a little more eager, like I said, to, to um, embrace what we do. Uh, and, and so that thing, I think it just makes you a more rounded person. So I'm gonna chime in on that, on the back of Susan is what it does for some of our patients is I have lots of pictures up hanging on my walls of where we've been and what we do. And it, it really imparts more trust in your patients in your private practice. They feel like they can trust you. They know you're doing something, you know, internationally and in your community. And that's just a big bonus uh, in your private practice. And we don't do it alone. I mean, I, I, I know we've talked about the other audiologists, but, um, you know, Oak Tree was amazing. I, I called you, Dave. I said, hey, we're going on this thing. Would you guys even consider helping us out with some supplies? And man, you did not hesitate. I mean, you were like, what do you need? I mean, and it was, it was so refreshing to feel like we're also getting that support. We have manufacturers that are giving us support. We have people that can't go on trips themselves, but so they give maybe dollars to the organization to help, you know, fund and support um, purchase of, of things that we need that we can't get donated. So there's lots of ways to be involved. You don't have to get on a plane to be involved. I just have to add to that. I actually coveted like one of the, the Heaney, Heine um, otoscopes. I kept it in my, in my little um, pocket because I, I don't know about you guys, but one, one or two of the otoscopes there, I could not use. I couldn't see through. I, I was not effective. So I was like, this one, this one's mine. Nobody noticed, but it, it worked <laughs> for me. So thank you, Dave. <laughs> but um, I want to I add to what Deanne said about it's a community effort. Um, I feel like um, there were so many ways people were involved in this who weren't directly involved in this. There were people who were sending supplies over, there were manufacturers, there were our spouses, there were our friends. Um, I, I, um, so I know that there are so many ways in which this rolls out, but it's not just audiologists going, it's audiologists taking all the love that the people around them have to give, whether that be donated toys, clothes, hearing aids, supplies, um, time, watching their kids, covering their practices, 
this is an all out effort to get whatever needs to get done over there. And I think that's what toothbrushes. Yeah. I think that's what makes it so special because you know, you're going and the people here have your back and the people there have your back. So it is, it is definitely a community event. Yeah. I just think this is so cool. Like I've um, you know, I knew that you all as like, we, I, I know a lot of audiologists go on these humanitarian humanitarian trips. And to be honest, I've never really um, had like a real breakdown of what goes on in these. And so this is just really, really interesting to hear what's going on. And and now that I better understand the impact that you're all making, um, it's it's pretty profound. It's profound for a lot of different reasons. I mean, I think that you're making a real direct impact. There's a community aspect to it. It's helping to alleviate burnout. You're collaborating with one another. I mean, there's, like I said, there's so many net positives to this. Um, so I just think it's awesome. Closing thoughts. Um, anybody want to chime in with some last thoughts? I, I think, Dave, you need to volunteer on the next trip. I would love that. If there's a, if there is a spot, I would love it. Can I say, if anybody's interested, please contact hearingthecall.org. If you would like more information, we'd be more than happy to get that information to you. If you want to learn more about how you can help in any way, that would be great. All are welcome. Fantastic. I just want to add one last thing. Um, I, I truly believe that any thing that goes towards hearingthecall.org directly translates to the patients and the people we've worked with because I have seen it. I have taken these supplies with my hands and provided them to those patients. It was not lost in the shuffle. And if people have hesitated in terms of donating or giving to any other organization, this is not that organization. We have taken those donations and put them to use right away. So it trust that this is, this is donations and this is love and giving in action. Awesome. Well said, mic drop. Well, thank you so much. Thanks Deanne for helping to coordinate this so quickly. Um, I can't say enough good things about this. This is really cool. I'm a big hearing the call fan. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, thanks everybody. We'll chat with you next time. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.